Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Nursing Handover podcast. You have me, Jerry, and Clarissa back with another episode. How are you doing, my love? All good, all good in the hood. Nothing much, <laughs> nothing new. Just sexual health as per, and just always cleaning the house. The house is, never stops. What about you? Pretty much the same. It's oh, as we all know, it's been Black Friday, so I've been, I've stayed away from the sales. But you literally everywhere you turn, deals, 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 deals. Literally, I think I've received about in total nearly over two hundred emails this weekend. Tell me about it. I've literally just been watching them just increase. I haven't opened any of them. You don't mean either. This year's just been a tough one, so I've just kind of stayed clear of it. Right. I'm I'm literally going. Yeah, go go ahead. No, no. no. (laughs) I was literally just saying I was going through like my saved items. Yeah. On each side, and they're all just sold out. And I'm thinking, oh, do I regret it now? (laughs) But then I'm like, they're probably going to come back anyway. Definitely. And at, in, at the end of the day, you don't want to be in the same thing other people are in. Imagine. This is it. This takes me back to, I went to a friend's wedding and there was like four of us in the same dress, in different colours, but the exact no. same dress. You're joking. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, really no, that would kill me. But, that would really break my soul. Oh, tell me about it. When you feel like, you know, you're going to go in there and stun and just be all in that energy and then you see like three other girls in your dress. Yeah, it's not a good shout. No, not at all. Not at all. But anywho, how's your weekend been so far? Weekend's been fairly good. It's just been really lazy. But, you know, you just need one of those weekends where you don't do anything, especially in this weather. Oh, tell me you know, It's colder than usual, I think. I definitely think it's going to slow, slow you know, snow sometime soon here in London. Because I hope it's so. never this cold. No, it really isn't. I actually hope so, though, and I really hope it's like a white Christmas. That would be really nice. I don't even know if we've had one. I think we've, we may have had, like, one or two, but definitely not many. And it'd be really nice. Right, so tell me about not it. driving in it and not physically walking in it, but the sight <laughs> would be beautiful. Right, I know. I really hope so. I'm banking on it, to be honest. However, as you guys may have heard, there has been a new covid variant dun, dun, dun. i can't lie it's inevitable there's always going to be new variants but apparently our vaccinations will not be able to stop us from catching this particular variant i'll be real i've ignored everything <laughs> I've, I've ignored everything i'm ignoring the news i i just found out the name of this new strain omicron it, looks it bloody like, sounds like something from Avengers. Thank you. I when they were talking about it, and I like heard it on the radio. I honestly thought it was uh, um, like a new, um, like a new business coming to light with something. Before I realized <laughs> it's another COVID strain. Like, yeah, who creates these names. Omicron. You know, it's not even like in the Greek alphabet. I think. Thank you. Because the last one I remember was the Delta virus. Yeah. And now we're on O. What what happened? What the hell? Omicron. <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google it and be like, where the hell does it come from? Omicron oh. name. Honestly, it's a big joke. But that aside, guys, so just remain safe where you can, you know, face masks and all. We are talking about sexual health mythbusters. Yes. So obviously, as you guys know. We have our favourite sexual health expert, who is a sexual health nurse. That is the lovely Clarissa. 
Um, hey. And we're just going to bust some myths. <laughs> yes. So have you got any questions or things in your mind or do you want me to start off and just um, reel some of these out? This, oh, this is going to sound really silly. No, it's not silly. Well, this is true. We always get told there's no silly question. So mm. I think I already know the answer to this anyway, but peeing after sex does prevent um UTIs. Yeah, UTIs and other things. Yes. Correct in saying that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it does. So basically, why that is the case is because our vagina and urethra are so close together. So I'm talking from a female um physiology, yeah. a female body. So if you think about it this way, unfortunately, the way we're built up is we have the urethra, the vagina, and our anus, and they're very close together. Yeah. And sometimes during sex, the bacteria from the vagina, or even in most cases, the bacteria from the anus, E. coli, from the friction, from the rubbing, from all the touching and everything, and just from the process of sex itself, some of the E. coli bacteria can actually go up the urethra can come in contact yeah (laughs) can go up the urethra and then that's where you get your cystitis and your utis so yeah yeah so peeing afterwards does really help it just gets rid of all the excess bacteria that you know you just may have been in contact with or from the friction you know has just exposed your body to would you say that the um that peeing kind of like neutralizes it I would say neutralizes it, yeah. Okay. I would say neutralizes it. I try and tell my women just to do it before and after. Yeah. As well. Because, I mean, peeing before helps and also helps uh, to uh, release the tension in the vaginal muscles as well, to be fair. Um, so it can make sex, sex a bit more pleasurable. But, yeah, it just helps the bacteria already have in your urethra get mm-hmm. rid of it. And then the bacteria you may have been exposed to afterwards, get rid of that. That's true. And even if you can't go straight away, at least give it an hour or two hours, at least go. Well, you should be going within like two hours post, no? Yeah, within like two hours. (laughs) Within two hours, most definitely. Boy. Well, so if you didn't know that, that's something new for you guys. Definitely. Any other questions or should I reel them off? There are so many. It's unbelievable. Oh, I think... Okay, I've got one more. Yes. So I think I'm going to... I might get the name wrong. wrong. Trichomonas? Is that the right Yes. Name? Oh, I love it. That's the one that when you look on the... Um, on the Petri dish, you can literally see tails, like, flicking each other in it. Yeah. Yeah. And people can literally pass that to each other without... Well, just backwards and forwards, no? Um, so it is from penetration, it is from sexual acts. Um, it's the same way as getting chlamydia or gonorrhea, it's from sexual penetration. But even if you don't insert the penis in the vagina, for example, vice versa, secretions mm-hmm. um from the male, say if you guys are just masturbating, um, the sperm, and if you just touch each other, that can that can spread as well. Oh well, wow. okay, that I did not know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if, so say with chlamydia and gonorrhea, trichomonas, um, if you're not having actual sex where the penis goes in the vagina, ETC, Mm -hmm. if you're 
just in foreplay, you know, and the and the guy ejaculates and then you and then he starts fingering you, but he's got sperm on his hands and stuff. That's a way you can, you know, um reinfect each other as well. Oh no. So that yeah, so that's why we say when you're going through chlamydia treatment, gonorrhea treatment, or trichomonas. Yes, you can masturbate, but please masturbate alone. Do your thing alone. Literally no sexual contact whatsoever. Even if it's protected sex, there's a chance the condom can split. No unprotected sex. No anal, no nada, no oral, no nada. Leave each other alone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to think more, but please share. That's all right. So... I would like to say there's been an increase in young people from what I've seen coming up to me asking me if chlamydia is a dormant STI. If someone can have it, it goes away and then it comes up. No. Chlamydia, gonorrhea, trichomonas, um, HIV and syphilis are STIs, sexual transmitted infections that Mm -hmm. can only be passed on sexually so you need that sexual contact you need to have that sexual act but you can get let me start again but you can get chlamydia in the eye no yeah but that's if someone would ejaculate in your eye or a bit of the sperm gets in your eye okay fair enough so yeah so basically you can get chlamydia in the eye say again say you're just masturbating um you know, and the bit of the guy's sperm is on your hand and then you touch your eye afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so that can happen. And, yes, you can get chlamydia and gonorrhea in the throat as well, and that will usually be from oral sex. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what else? So let me just reel a good few of them. Oh, before so, you, before you yes. carry on, so in terms of getting chlamydia in the throat, would it just show, like, a normal, like, throat infection? yeah so some people get sore throats most Mm -hmm. more than likely some people don't really have any symptoms um we usually we usually do throat tests for those who take part in oral sex it's usually women who have sex with men and take part in oral sex or usually men who have sex with men and take part in oral sex Um, Mm and it is all i always offer it to them um it's basically like a COVID test for the throat um, before okay. chlamydia. So we do, I do offer it to those who may be at high risk. Okay, that's fair. And if it is, if that is left untreated, I'm guessing it still has the same consequences, let's say, as like other STIs, SCDs, things to do with like infertility and things like that. Um, it doesn't, but you can get a thing called SARA. Oh, what's so, that? Sarah is let me just get the proper name bear with me no that's fine so Sarah is and it stands for s stands for sexually a stands for acquired the r stands for reactive and the a stands for arthritis so Sarah is sexually acquired reactive arthritis this is where your joints your eyes or the urethra where you pee from becomes so inflamed within the first few weeks after having chlamydia. Um, It is more common in men. So this is basically acute bouts of um, arthritis in the body. Yeah. And this is usually when you have undiagnosed chlamydia. Um, Usually those who are asymptomatic and they leave it for quite a while. That actually sounds mad. Yeah. So (laughs) if you do have it in the throat, because it is localized in the throat, 
it won't affect the reproductive system, but you would be at risk of um, acute bout of arthritis, which is sexually acquired reactive arthritis from chlamydia. Wow. I don't yeah. know you're speechless. Yeah, I know. I found that out a few weeks ago myself. I was so shocked. Boy. It's amazing. It's amazing, but shocking at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And the same with chlamydia, but I uh, the same with gonorrhea. But I think um, chlamydia makes up most of the cases of okay. uh, Sarah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It is wicked. It's wicked. I love it. I don't blame you. It's actually really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but please continue. Please share all the myths and everything. So... Another one uh, that is that's got a huge stigma. The two st well, I don't even know why it's under the STI umbrella, but mm-hmm. it's genital wart and herpes. So two things: genital wart is caused by the virus HPV, mm-hmm. but there are two facts to take in. HPV is the umbrella term for over two hundred strains of HPV. So oh, there really? are. Yeah, there are over 200 strains of HPV. Now, if you have been, if you had a smear test, so this is for the ladies out there, if you had a smear test and it's positive for HPV, it does not necessarily mean you have genital warts. Usually it doesn't. Those associated, the HPV that's found on the cervix is not associated with genital warts. They're independent and they have their own strain. Yeah. With HPV, <clears throat> When a woman has a smear test, what they do is they test for the 13 most risky types of HPV that can cause cancer. Yeah. So they test for the 13 risky ones. And I think the two riskiest ones that I think that makes 70 to 75% of cervical cancer is is strain 16 and 18. So if they haven't diagnosed that in the smear test, but you have a strain of HPV, the other strains of HPV are actually usually harmless and your body can clear it up within a year or two. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then the HPV that causes genital warts, again, it's its own independent strain. And yeah, just because you have HPV, it does not mean that you have cervical cancer. Um <clears throat> And the genital wart HPV, you it's that's skin to skin contact. So you can literally just be rubbing. You don't need full on penetration. You don't even need to have the ladies or the man secretions. If the genital wart is present, there's just from skin to skin contact. Um, and if you think about it this way, you know the warts that loads of children get when they're younger, the warts on their hands and yeah. stuff. That one, that's that's a form of HPV, but it's usually when the immune system is slightly compromised, when they're just a bit ill, and it can be from contact as well, just from skin to skin contact. So HPV is very common. We possibly be exposed to it on a daily basis or every other day, but our body is strong enough to fight it off. Wow. Yeah. And then the second one is herpes, genital herpes. This has got such a huge stigma. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. My throat. So I recently had a lady come in and saying she would rather have gonorrhea than herpes. And my mouth dropped open. Is it because and, people yeah. see herpes as like a lifelong thing, but a lot more people have it than they even know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely correct. So if we tested everyone in the population, literally everyone, 
75% would be positive for either type 1 or type 2 or even both of yeah. HSV, which is the virus that causes herpes, HSV. And in that 75%, only about 15 or 20% will ever show symptoms. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a lot of people don't actually know a cold sore you get on your lip is a form is herpes. I honestly thought that was common knowledge, but you never know. No, you know, common knowledge is not as common as you think. Very, very true. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. So you'll be surprised. I've, I, I, I will ask people, have you ever had a cold sore before? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that is herpes. That's and then people get really upset, like, how yeah. have I got, how have I got, got it? Yeah. Like this, but it's not even just down to, it's not down to sexual acts. Like your no. parents could have given it to you. Yeah. Um, sharing bottles, uh, drinking from the same can, drinking from, um, you know, using the same lip gloss, um, kissing someone when they have an active cold sore. Um, and even before they have an outbreak, so say before the sore is formed, before they have, like right before they have an outbreak, the viral load is there. So there's a thing called asymptomatic shedding. Yeah. Um, it is less likely, but it can still happen. However, um, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have an outbreak. It doesn't even mean you, you're ever going to have an outbreak. Some people literally have one or two and that's them done for the whole life. Mad. Yeah. And the reason why my jaw dropped open when this lady said she'd rather have gonorrhea is because herpes, HSV, does not have any lifetime consequences. It does not affect your fertility. It does not put you at risk of... Um, scarring in your reproductive area it does not put you at risk of ectopic pregnancies it does not put you at risk of anything you can have yeah you can have herpes your whole life and it doesn't do anything if you have gonorrhea your whole life you'll pretty you'll you'll probably get prd pelvic inflammatory infection or disease Mm -hmm. there's a risk of scarring in your fallopian tubes and then that puts you more at risk of ectopic pregnancies and and fertility issues mad honestly pure madness but then i think isn't herpes like the only std that you can catch without actual penetration yeah so it's that's the same with uh, genital warts as well it's just from skin to skin contact so I when I have a patient and when they are diagnosed I tell them straight away try not to see us as an STI see it as just a skin infection okay you have people who have warts on their hands that's a form of HPV people with cold sores that's a form of H that's a form of herpes these are just skin infections what do you think we need to do in society to like reduce that stigma? Because like even like I may talk to my friends about sexual health because I, I think I have quite a good insight, but I could I yeah, obviously I'm not on your level. But <laughs> it seems like the moment people hear herpes, they literally hear a death sentence and it's yeah, really they not do. the case. But That's like cool. you said, catching other things like chlamydia and gonorrhea time and time again has a more detrimental effect than herpes may ever yes ever ever like literally and I think it's uh, just knowing what happens when you have chlamydia or gonorrhea for a long time and I don't think a lot of people know when you do have herpes for example nothing bad is going to happen the yeah. only thing that they for women the only thing that they, they just want to make sure of is say you are a person with herpes and say 
you do have an outbreak, all they will do is, and you're pregnant, all they will do is make sure you're on treatment. Yeah. The antiviral treatment for um, herpes is very, 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 very safe. Does not affect the baby. And they will just make sure that you don't have any sores present. That's it. So, yeah, go ahead. And you could pass like antibodies to the baby, no? Uh, no no but it does not get passed on so the only way it can get passed on to the child is if it goes through the vaginal canal and you have sore present okay fair enough but if the sores are not there um the likelihood of it passing it on is very very low significantly low yeah but with chlamydia and gonorrhea for those who may not know if you're pregnant and you have trick for example you have trichomonas or you have syphilis or you have chlamydia or you have gonorrhea there's a risk of premature birth or even miscarriage. Madness. 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 So it's all about knowing what the STIs can and can't do. And I think that's where the stigma will be relieved. If that makes sense? Yeah, because honestly, just you saying it alone, like herpes, yeah, it doesn't seem to have much effect on, on the person unless, no. you know, you actually get the blisters. Yeah. Apart from that, you will never know. No, you will never know. And say you have the blisters, usually on average, by the time you get to the clinic, your blisters are already clearing up by itself. So your body is more than capable of clearing up the outbreak. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. then, so, okay, my question for you is, why do people find sexual health such a taboo subject? To, and like, Because I know like quite a lot of friends and family like if they ever need to go to the clinic, they're not going to one that's closest to them because they don't want people to see them. But yeah, sexual health to me, I have no problem in going to my closest because it to me is a form of health. Yeah, going to the hospital. Yes, exactly. But this is the thing. I think what people do is they see sexual health and they kind of pro- and they kind of rank it. For example, it's sex first, yeah. and sex is. They, you know, they view it as dirty. They think of porn. They think of promiscuity. And then it's sexual health, not the other way around, not sexual health as a whole. And then the rest, you know, your sexual activity, sexual pleasure. Um, I think, yeah, well, I I think it's from generation to generation, we have made sex into such a taboo and we've kind of associated it with more negative things like promiscuity, porn, um, and like, you know, you shouldn't have so many sexual partners, ETC. It's got such a stigma to it where I think people almost, and then if you do have a condition associated with it, it kind of exacerbates that yeah. taboo. I think it's such a shame because it is. It, I think I think sexual health should be something that's taught more about. And even like taught to like younger children. Yeah. Okay, maybe not necessarily younger. Okay, I want to say adolescents because I do think children should know just to be aware in case, you know, sexual abuse happens. But I feel like once they are aware, sexual health is something that should also be in their mind. Just like how you may go to the GP if you've got a cough or a cold. If you think something is wrong with like your reproductive organs, you should get checked out. I don't, me personally, I don't believe in waiting. However, I know I'm one of those few people that even for myself, prior to covid restrictions and all that jazz i'm having a baby i always used to get tested every three months good yeah yeah because even if i was doing anything and if i wasn't i just feel like i know i want to be safe yeah and 
Go on. And that's true. No, and that's absolutely correct. You meant you should have that perspective of your sexual health because at the end of the day, it's health. Yeah. You know, it's it's they're act they're still organs, they're still part of your body. And I think people have kind of disassociated the sexual organs as like part of the organs. They kind of see it, they they see the vagina separate from like the liver. Yeah. You know, but it's all the same, you know, they're all organs, and let's be real, we would not be here if it wasn't for sex. So sex exactly. has a crucial part in society and makes people. I just wish people could like see it as it's really not that deep. No, and no. like the stigma, like and take the stigma away because, like you said, I can't lie. Sex, even just talking about it amongst friends, like I'm guessing for you, like even your like closest friends will come probably come to you first for sexual health advice before even being like, hey, yeah, I'm actually gonna go to the clinic. Some do, some do if they feel open to, you know. Yeah. I I can't lie. I I thought I would have more people coming to me. But I actually don't. And I think that's because they still think, oh, because she's a sexual health nurse, I'm probably going to be a bit more embarrassed. When it's not the case. like When it's not the case, I, I really embrace it because it's so it's so misunderstood. Yeah, no, it really is. But then this is why, for example, we've got like the UK has like the highest teenage pregnancy. Mate, honestly. Rates in the whole of Europe and things like this because the education is just not there. And I don't it's just mean poor. based in schools. Like you said, if people are going around with a stigma that sexual health is dirty, they think about promiscuity, porn, and all these things, why would anyone want to use it when that's yeah. not the case at all? And also, talking about teenage uh, pregnancy rates, I would like to stress for my young ladies, please, 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 please do talk to your friends about their experience of contraception, but not all contraception will have the same side effects. And most importantly, it will not stop you from having children. And there's a lot of misconception. There's a lot of girls coming in Mm -hmm. under 18 who feel it will make them, it will make it harder for them to have kids after they've been on contraception. The only one that may delay your periods from coming back um not totally but within like a few months would be the depot injection the injection usually delays your period for about uh eight to twelve months once you oh, stop really? it yeah and that's just because it's been injected and it needs to like yeah it's the, system. A, it's the type of progesterone yeah okay. it's the type of hormone and how that hormone works it kind of tricks your body to think it's already pregnant it stops ovulation it stops you from releasing the egg and it thins down the lining of the womb but yeah go is ahead. that why one of the side effects is like putting on weight because your body thinks it's it's growing something i'm guessing that's what i thought as well but um the only one so the only one with evidence concrete evidence like clinical evidence is the depot there is a chance of women with a B over with a BMI over 30 who are at risk of actually gaining weight on the depot injection. Okay. However, the other contraceptives, the evidence shows there's no risk, but from personal experience, I and so we use the term antidotally. Antidotally is basically when people come back and report to us. Yeah. So antidotally, people have said there's a bit of um, weight, weight gain, or fluid retention. 
And that would usually be associated with the estrogen. Okay. If it's a combined method, it's usually the estrogen. But yes, I mean, it, I think we'll be foolish to say there won't be any side effects in regards to weight, but there's no guarantee. The only one that has concrete evidence is the depo. Fair, but to be honest, even just taking paracetamol has side effects. So Yes, exactly. So there is going to be side effects. You'll be, I mean, I think more than likely, a lot of women are likely to not have many when it comes to contraception. Yeah. Um, and I do think with women, um, not with women in general, but those who take contraception, I think we need to maintain a realistic expectation that, it, you know, contraception is genuinely about trial and error and it's, it's about what works best for you and what maybe gives you the less side effects. Yeah. There is one that's going to give you no side effects and that's absolutely great. And I think more than likely that does happen, but there is going to be some sort of side effect. And, you know, I think it's just managing realistic expectations, just knowing if you are going to be taking some hormonal contraception, there may be a side effect and it is all about trial and error. Don't just cancel it out completely. Yeah. But no, saying that, like, I know, like, I agree with you because even myself, I've tried quite a few and to find what perfectly works for me I think I may have found it now but yeah and that for me is the Mirena coil as much yeah. as I don't want to have hormones I think that works the best for me because yeah. the copper coil is not it not no for me anyway. <laughs> no <laughs> exactly exactly and that's just how it should be viewed it's all about trial and error the contraception is there for us to use and I really feel like if it's available for free just take advantage of it and try it yeah because then you can what? try so many and there are so many options mm, yeah you like you so said many. you will find something that works perfectly for you and yeah perfectly for you and go for it and what other myths there's lots around bv um bacterial vaginosis i don't know if you had it before i've had it plenty of times it's a horrible experience it's, it's horrible <laughs> it's a horrible experience the distrust so with bv if those who don't know so bacterial vaginosis let me say this first it's not an sti it it's is basically just, like thrush yeah. no like the opposite to thrush <laughs> yeah it's funny you said that because i kind of view it in that way as well um but basically with bacterial vaginosis you have so in your vagina naturally you have good and bad bacteria mm-hmm. and sometimes the bad bacteria just overgrows the good and when it overgrows the good bacteria, you may get a foul smelling discharge, discharge that's quite watery um, and gray, but it's usually the smell, it's, it's usually a strong fishy smell. Yeah. Um, and there are many triggers. So the same triggers that may cause thrush, such as overwashing, washing with soap, washing with Femfresh, all those female product, you know, all those female soaps, it's still a soap. It's a scam genuinely it's a scam don't use them it's like using the wipes as well like yeah the wipes the femme fresh wipes any scented products any soaps but even smoking is a trigger um yeah smoking has a high correlation with bv um so overwashing bubble baths unfortunately um sex can cause bv the sperm can cause bv condoms can cause bv wearing too tight underwear can cause bv so a lot of things can cause BV. So it is a natural thing. Um, and not all BV episodes have to be treated with antibiotics, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Like every, 
well no I agree because you can get loads over the counter yeah stuff that you also can, really do help the you can get balance active um but sometimes naturally so in our in our natural cycle we fluctuate from normal flora to BV back to normal flora to BV back to normal flora. The only time we would treat BV is when, you know, the symptoms are there, the smelly discharge and the symptoms are just persistent. Yeah. And BV cannot be passed on to your partner. So is there isn't, because I know, wait, so BV, so there's no like male equivalent to BV. No. I know there's like a male equivalent to thrush, which is what, a euthritis, I think? You mean uh, NSU? Yeah. So NSU, what it stands for is non-specific urethritis. So that's an umbrella term to say there's inflammation in the urethra. Yeah. But that can be caused from, uh, it's basically, yeah, so there's inflammation in the urethra and that can be caused from external bacteria, chlamydia, gonorrhea, um, it can be caused by just being too rough when you're masturbating. Um, it can be from rough sex. So there's lots of things that can cause NSU. Um, but usually it's caused by bacteria, either chlamydia or gonorrhea. Honestly, BV is like, oh, it's just horrible. It is. Absolutely horrible. Is. So, yes, with in regards to BV, try not to blame your partner. It can happen after sex. More than likely it does. But then um, this is why uh, yeah. you should pee after sex. Well, no. So even okay. peeing after sex may not. So that's more or less for UTIs. Okay. Um, so peeing after sex, may it helps with UTIs. But in regards to BV, um, it may not. It's just about how your body is receptive to the sperm or from just that sexual activity. Oh wow! I'll give you. I'll give you my honest, um, my honest um, experience with BV. Mm-hmm. I had BV on and off for about a year and a half, on and off, on and off, on and off, constant. When I was with Theo, I think mm-hmm. when I was first seeing him, and genuinely, I wasn't doing any. Actually, I st- I stopped the smoking. I stopped yeah. washing inside my vagina because I used to douche quite a bit, and I stopped washing with soap. It helped, but also just your your vagina is still getting used to the guy's sperm. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it's annoying. I, you know, it, it's frustrating, but there's so many things that we can do to try and eliminate it, to try and eliminate triggers. But yeah, yeah sometimes it's just about your body getting used to the guy's sperm as well. It, just, it takes time. Because honestly, BV is... Uh... Oh, you, can, you already know by the size. Yeah, the size. it's just. Oh. It is. It's a bane. <laughs> it, it's a bane of. It's a bane of your life. Like it's very frustrating. Um, and once you feel like you have you, ha- it's gone. It just creeps back up again. Honestly. It's very. It's very annoying. And I, I kind of noticed. I think your body goes through a phase of it. So once yeah. you go through that cycle it, it can just snap out of it after a while but it's annoying very annoying no that I definitely agree with you because you can literally just keep having bouts of it for no particular reason yeah not even like even if you're doing all the things like not using perfumated soaps not douching and it may just keep happening yeah yeah it's just your it's just your vagina it's just going through a phase where it's it's in a pattern of just overgrowing the bacteria yeah and then it just takes it just takes, and then one day you wake up and it's like, oh, 
it's been two weeks I haven't had it it's been three weeks it's been months it's been six months I've had sex now I haven't had it it just your body will snap out of it honestly just this but even uh, the be the stigma behind BV really reminds me of the stigma between her of herpes it's like people just think it's something that should not be spoken about but it, us speaking about it reminds me to a time I must be like researching it on um YouTube just to see yeah. what it is and I've never resonated with someone's description of it so yeah. much just like you said like sometimes you get like a foul fishy smell this woman was like I don't know what I did but I smell like an aquarium and <laughs> that's yeah. where, if you ever like ever have that smell and you literally smell like a fish just know it's BV yeah 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 it's true also actually another thing what colors do you think thrush can come in as can show up as uh I want to say not pink. a trick question like pink, it can be white, yeah any color clear yeah because yeah. I think if you're like obviously thrush is itchy and if you are literally rubbing you're going to irritate the skin and there will be some sort of bleed well yeah some sort of like discharge mixed with blood which will be quite pink in your knickers yeah yeah that's 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 correct but also the dish you know the discharge you get from thrush it can be green it can really? be yellow yes yes oh yes it can be green it can be yellow it can be orange it can be a mixture of like a light pink because of the itching and the bleeding last like yeah. you said my last outbreak of thrush at orange discharge really yeah honestly I started panicking I was like oh my god I'm you know I see thrush day in and day out yeah so when I had this orange discharge I was like what the hell is this and I went to my colleague I went to one of the consultants and she was like, yeah, that's fine. That's normal. I was like, what do you mean? I've never seen orange discharge. She's like, yeah, thrush can come in different colors. I have seen green thrush before. I've mm-hmm. never seen orange thrush though, but that's another one. Yeah. So thrush can come in different colors. But as Jerry said, if you're itching and the itching is just not going away and your discharge th- changes and it's a bit thicker than usual, you may have thrush. You yeah. can come to the clinic and receive free treatment. Um, or you can purchase that over the counter. I would honestly recommend you go for the treatment because it's expensive. It is. It's really it is. expensive. And again, like Chris said earlier, if you're willing, if you're happy to utilize the free service, why not? Just why not? Why not? Utilize the free service. It's there. And the more people we see, the more we get funding for it. So please, you're doing us a favor. <laughs> Definitely. Like, and, use the and, service. You know, Here's the service. You're giving us the funding and we're, you're getting free treatment. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> Definitely. So Diane has just joined us. How are you, my love? I'm good, guys. I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. So just catching you up, me and Clarissa, Clarissa a bit, ugh, why can't I speak? I'm so sorry. Me and Clarissa okay. have been basically just having a good old chinwag about sexual health and sexual health myths and different things about like that so do you have any questions that you want to throw Clarissa's way I think one of the questions I would have is how can we get young people to see how can we get young people to prioritize their sexual health where they prioritize their physical health this is what Jerry and I were speaking about before I we feel like when it comes to sexual health 
people don't see for example the vagina or penis as like their liver they kind of I think they have desensitized it and kind of disassociated their genital organs from their actual body and I mm. think it's all around the whole stigma about I think they put sex first and then sexual health not sexual health and then sex mm. does that make sense but how can we defeat that stigma yeah. I, I think I think it's just opening that dialogue I think I, I do think and you know it's it's an opinion but I do think it needs to be in schools um and yeah. I think they need to have lessons genuinely about sexual health not just about how you get pregnant you know um or just about what a period is they need sexual health and they need to just normalize it because sexual health stis is is just part of sex it, it needs to be normalized you know um yeah and i think it just need, it needs to be part of the dialogue i think there needs to be more exposure um there needs to be more documentaries i think they just need to make it more casual to be honest Exactly. And I think mm. another another way that might help the young people want to actually go and use these services is if the older population, and what I mean by older would be like, for example, like our parents yeah. and older actually were more open about sexual health. They don't need to come and tell yeah. you about their sex lives. But no. having the question around sexual health so that it's not a taboo thing, it's not hidden yeah. away and it's not seemed as shameful. because. No. If I'm, please correct me if I'm wrong, Carissa. No, like the elderly population also have really high sexual sexual health with STIs and STD things going yeah. around, but because the people don't want to talk about it, no one knows this. Yeah, and I do feel like when they do come to the clinic with abnormal discharge, and when I do say it's BV, they're genuinely clueless. I feel like with the younger generation, it is it is spoken a bit more, so we are more aware, but there are still lots of gaps and questions. Um, yeah. And yeah, when it comes, like, I'll tell you, my mum, how old is she? She's 53. I told her to go to a sexual health clinic because of her discharge. Just because you're going to a sexual health clinic does not mean you're sexually active either. Yeah. You know? It's, it's like just going to the, a specialist for that area. This is it. Yeah, she's going to specialist that area. And she was also diagnosed with BV and she was shocked. She was absolutely shocked. Because mm. she, you know, she's not she she doesn't have a partner. And she was like, oh my God, I just didn't know. You know, I didn't know I can get this stuff. And she was actually, she went there, she was so impressed. She was so impressed with the speculum examination. She was like, it's it was, it's just, it wasn't painful, you know. Every time she went to the GP. It, there was a bit of like it wasn't as if there was a bit of a struggle but she felt it just didn't glide through yeah you know but if you think about it we do this day in and day out you know how many speculum examinations do we do how many vaginal examinations you know so yeah it's just all about seeing a specialist but yeah you're absolutely right it, it, it's definitely a generational um not a generational curse what would you say generational stigma I guess yeah because mm. just because it's not spoken about it's not normalized because like yeah, for example, yeah. you get the one-off family that talk about this from grandparent all the way down obviously yeah. some people think it's a bit loose but then it normalizes it so that if there is yeah. any issues people are more than happy to have the conversation this is it and also I was just thinking you know the talk yeah yeah I think that makes it worse why do you need to have one specific talk with your child about sex 
why can't you just you know they're a teenager you know they're about 12 or 13 you know they're going to meet new people their bodies are going to change that is the time where I believe it should just be a normal conversation you should just mention it here and there have it a bit normal not you shouldn't just have one particular talk and make it awkward yeah and also don't use like the birds and the bees I don't even know how that even makes sense just say it as it is <laughs> uh, I agree like I feel like the more you try and dress it up the less you're getting to the, re- the realism of what's actually happening yeah and the, more you're with it, and the more you're in touch with it the better you can connect with your child as well exactly and I think and correct me if I'm wrong as well guys I feel like the main aim when people talk to their children about sex or, you know, adolescents is just about pregnancy, how it to is. make sure they don't get someone pregnant. But, yeah. you know, they, you know, they're probably, you know, the girl might be on the pill, but she might be having unprotected sex with left, left, right and center. And that's putting her at risk of STIs. Exactly. That could just cause she's not getting pregnant. With, yeah. Doesn't you know? mean like, you know, she can't get other things. 100%. Exactly. That and have more detrimental effects in the long term. Exactly. And also going the same for like boys. Because I feel like yeah. people think, you know, for the girls we need to talk to the most to remain vigilant. But also the boys need to have these conversations too. Because yes. you know, they'll be learning these things from porn. And mm. as we all know, learning it from porn in such places leads to so many other things. False expectations is not realistic, you know. Yeah, hypersexuality. There is so yes. much. Because people are going to think that by how people have sex on porn is the way to have sex. And no one has sex like that. Like no. sex is meant to be messy and animalistic and all these things. And if you were to watch porn and it's dressed up or nice and glamorous like, and it's not like that. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't make people feel like they're not doing it right when you're doing, you're doing it right for you. And that's really all that matters. This is it. You're doing it right for you. And I think, I think we were speaking about this before we started recording, but these expectations can actually cause sexual trauma, especially, I I guess, not especially because it can happen both ways for the man and girl. Mm -hmm. But for women, if they, you know, if they they enter into a a relationship and the guy has way high expectations and they're not performing, that could lead them into a condition called vaginismus where they they just get tense and uncomfortable during sex because of that traumatic experience that they've had. I see, and that would impact the relationship overall. Yeah. yeah. And emotional and physical connection is impacted in that way. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there are so many, there are a lot more psychological um, links with sex than people are making it out to be. But yeah, that is any other questions or like any other, yeah, any other questions? I think for me, obviously, who's coming late? <laughs> or don't worry, I would, girl. I mean, I would say that in terms of sexual health, it should be something that prioritized a lot in the education yeah. of young people just because. Yeah. It impacts every part of your life, even if you don't think it does. You know, mm-hmm. even just having relationships and being with someone, sexual health is a big part of that. And yeah. you need to understand and know how things work, why this means this, why your body be- responds and behaves in a certain way 
to know how to respond, how to react, and how to treat certain things. Yeah. And I, I, I like to think anyone who's listening who wants to get into sexual health is inspired and wants to kind of be like a trailblazer and push this the importance of this topic and this subject in our communities. Yeah. No, I, agree. I definitely agree. The one question I wanted to ask Clarissa yeah. is, how do you deal with patients, clients who come in um, with being like sexually abused? I know like I'm like, I enjoy safeguarding and things like that, but I know it's very different for everyone in different fields. But I yeah. feel like sexual health has a lot of that. So if my question makes any sense. hundred percent. I, so I'll give you two scenarios. So say if someone has come in from a sexual assault and it's acute and it's happened within the last 12 hours, or it was just immediate. You, I, I always, I always do ask them, how do you want to be treated? Do you want me to just ask you questions or do you want to have a chat about it first? Yeah. I just ask, I just, I, I make sure that, and I don't want to sound cliche or by the book, but I genuinely just make the consultation tailored to them. Yeah. Um, and I do tell them the stuff we have to get done. So I do tell them that, look, so this is what I'm going to do for you. So we, we should try and get all of this done. But if you want, like, let's have a chat. Let's just have a talk about it. What's happened. Do you want to go into detail? Um, do you want to go to the havens? Because obviously at the sexual health clinic, we can't take forensics, sexual yeah. health, sexual forensics from rape or from sexual assaults. Yeah. We refer them to specialist units like the havens. And then that's where they take the forensics. Um, so you give them that option and you just have a chat with them. I really just feel like it, it needs to, you can do your medical stuff, baseline STI screen, explain to them what the steps are going to be. And you give them that choice whether they want to go ahead with it or whether they just, they just want to come in for a chat and then go to the havens or whether you just want to come in for a chat full stop. Yeah. You know? Um, so if it's an acute sexual assault, yeah, there is a few things that we have to do. We, you have to do baseline STI screen, including HIV bloods. Um, you have to give them a hep B booster, a hep B vaccination, and you take the hepatitis B levels just to see if they're immune to it or not mm-hmm. um and then you just give them the choice you you try and take down as much details as you can yeah um without con- without contaminating evidence of course well yeah without contaminating evidence and um basically yeah it's more of a chat really and you do uh, you do give them the option to go to the havens um if they want okay um but if it's someone with um past uh, history of sexual assault I personally find that a bit more challenging than someone with an acute sexual assault yeah and the reason being is because you don't know whether the person has addressed it you don't know if they are seeking counseling you don't know if they have even dealt with it or even come to admit it has happened because I feel like a lot of people I said yeah I've been sexually assaulted and they've just left it there but they mm. haven't actually looked at it and thought oh my god I have been sexually assaulted have I done anything and I think a lot of people just put it on the back burner because they don't want to deal with it yeah and not in a way because they don't want to but in a way that's like their coping mechanism to not deal with it 
Yeah, yeah um, you'd rather just pretend it hasn't happened or yeah. mask it or park it to the side. This is it. Address it. Yeah, and I feel like when they do, I, when they do talk about it, I do do ask them. Would you like to talk about it? I do. I, I do probe. Have you spoken to anyone about it? Have you received counselling? Have you? Wait, did you go to the havens? When did it happen? Who was it with? And I do tell the patient, you can tell me to stop if you want. Um, yeah. And we don't have to go into detail. And some of them do say, I prefer not to, you know, but mm. I feel like every, and I, I think there is some evidence to say when they do come in, if you do ask about it, eventually they will open up and tell someone about it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think if someone does say they've had a past history of sexual assault, I do try and probe, but I make it as formal, I make it as informal because I think they already feel like there's a stigma around it, you know? Yeah. Um, so you just try and make mm. it as formal as you can. You just make it, ca- you got to make it comfortable for them, you know? And I think that does depend on the professional as well. How, you know, their tone, their approach, their body language and how they're just discussing it really. Yeah. Cause I think it's definitely like, it's something very sensitive and yeah. you don't want to push someone over the edge. No. Or- trigger anything like the, the first that like they've done the first thing that's come to seek help yeah so you don't want to push them any further than they they're ready to go essentially yeah and you know what some people just don't want help you know I've had I've had incidents where people have come in they've had a sexual assault and they just want to get the medical part done they don't want to deal with the fact they've been sexually assaulted yet and that's absolutely fine they need to I think people I think practitioners need to understand people will deal with things in their own time but they need that encouragement and that support it does not mean they have to deal with it there and then because like you said that's going to just push them over the edge of them already yeah and if anything deter them from ever coming to the service again yeah of course yeah so that's how we do it. And for those who are under 16, if they have been sexually assaulted, then we would call the safeguarding team. That's when it is escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone who is under 18, we do an under 18 safeguarding performer. And I do tell all my all my young youngers, uh, youngsters, if you're under 18, these are questions I'm going to ask you. And I do say, like, when I used to go to the sexual connect, they used to ask me this as well. And I do tell them everything is confidential. And I do explain to them, I would only have to go to safeguarding if I feel you're an immediate risk of yeah. anything happening. And when I'm going through the questions, and the thing is, teenagers aren't dumb, you know, and I feel like we need to, in, like, we just, we they're a sponge. Their mind is a sponge right now. They're, they're mm. going to take the information in. When I go through the questions, some of the questions, they look at me like, what? Some of the questions are, has anyone ever given you money, gifts, or drugs for sex? They look at me like, what? And I do say to them, like, look, it's quite common. And I do tell them these are the questions we ask. And because some of the questions are a trigger and they mm-hmm. would make us realize someone may be vulnerable. If you explain it to them, they actually understand why asking these questions. But do you, do you think if you went into schools and you had like drop-ins or sessions where you were talking about this kind of thing, you would get more young girls, or even boys, saying that, yes, we have been propositioned, we have met people that have, I don't know, asked for sex. But like, do you think you'd get more? I would hope so, yeah. And I, I think it's like... a bit... Go on, Clarissa. No, no, go ahead. Go. I think That's it's a, a bit 
of a hit and miss because I feel like some may take it up and some may be very reluctant because of who else is around. Yeah. Mm. Like, for example, That's if true. Like, the coolest person in school has gone to this person to speak about sexual health, then everyone will flock to it. Whereas, yeah. you know, if, you know, the usual outcast has gone, no one no one cares. So no one would actually, like, follow it up. And if, like, anyone wants to see them coming out of their room, they'll be stigmatised. Like, oh, you've got, you've got an STD, STI, because you've gone to seek sexual health advice. When, mm. as we've said, it's not always negative. No. I think, you know what, J- Jerry smashed it. I think it is hit or miss. And I think when you're when you're younger, I think a lot of people are, are quick to kind of um, judge it. It is a shame, though, but that just shows that the stigma towards sex already has been implanted. Exactly. And where does that come from? That comes from the people above you, like your parents and yeah. aunties, uncles, family members, friends. Yeah. So it's trying to, like, start from the top and work our way down. Mm. Because if families see it, if like a parent, let's say, see sexual health classes as something that they don't want their child to know, that child's going to get information from elsewhere, which is not going to be accurate. Yes. And won't be beneficial to that child or that family or to anyone. I agree. It's just a big shame. I feel like this is something that we need to normalise from the heads of our families let's say and work our way down because it is like you said because it will be your family members or whoever having the the chat with you yeah and whoever that person is giving you the chat also needs to understand that sexual health is also very important and it's nothing to be ashamed of yeah and for example like we said earlier having herpes is not a death sentence in comparison to having gonorrhea or chlamydia yeah 100%. 100%. But I feel like this is what we've, this is all we've got time for today. Yeah. But definitely check out this week's posts and polls and question boxes because we have more of this stuff coming your way. Yeah, definitely. And if anyone has any questions, please write in the comments or DM us. Definitely. And we will get back to you to signpost or whatever. We don't know. We will definitely signpost you. And and I hope you enjoyed this episode. So until next week, guys, kick back, relax, stay warm because it is blitz out there. (laughs) And enjoy yourselves. Take Take care, care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.